0: La Guardia del Poeta es Word, La Pesadilla del Poeta es Word, El Paraiso del Poeta es Word, El Compromiso del Poeta es word. 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 Welcome to another edition of Baffling Combustions with Andrew McCarran, Sam Truett. And Sparrow, as they plumb the mundane and cosmic strange Cosmic Strange.
1: All worked out now, my entire spiel. If there if I have one.
0: Well, I, I, have, lots I lots have lots of Well, so. we're all gonna spiel and reel and try to uh, wrestle this to the ground yeah. here for another session of baffling combustions. My name is Sam Truitt. And I am Sparrow. And I am Andrew McCarron. <laughs> Teacher of Oath. Oath O-A-T-H Oath comes from the old English Oath. It comes from everywhere, you know, in Northern Europe as oath in one configuration or another. And it can be traced to a Proto-Indo-European, but it actually, it may be of some other origin, unknown origin. Hmm. But within that family of those Northern things, oath is oath. Yeah, I know. When I say it to my voice-activated
1: computer, it keeps thinking I'm saying oats. And also, I said it to my wife, and she also thought I was saying oats. The uh, the grain, the
0: oat. Mm. But it's an old word, you know? It's been said for a long time in this form. And so it comes to us from a far distance with, you know, a lot of accumulation to it. And mm. I guess it's one of the... It is a continuity within the human experience that there are forms of oaths that are taken between us, I believe. Mm. It feels and think, ancient. And 20. I guess that phrase, I believe, is integral to its, um, mm-hmm. to its operation. Truth, in other words. Truth I, and belief. It did feel ancient to me. I, I don't feel as if
2: I grew up um, with many oaths around me. It felt um, ancient, you know, encountering that word concept um, in my own development, having been born in 1977. I wonder why that is. I can't remember. I mean, I remember doing that Pledge of Allegiance.
1: Right. I was thinking of that, too.
2: But I don't know if a pledge and an oath are the same thing. They're related, certainly.
1: Yeah, as I was saying to my wife today. Pledge is the name of a furniture cleanser. Yes. But uh, and nobody
0: seems to mind.
1: But there is no
0: such thing as a well, detergent.
1: called oath.
0: Oh, there should be. It also make a terrific movie title. But <laughs> the um, the original meaning had to do with the judicial structure mm-hmm. of taking oaths. Um, right, and that's how it's um, kind of used. Yeah, and sometimes those oaths are intertwined with a sacred object or, you know, as was traditional, I guess, you know, in, you know, in the sort of Christian line, you know, you swear on the Bible. Right. But the oath is outside of a kind of, um, you know, religious uh, gesture you know, which I guess something like a vow has a a religious timbre. But there's a whole family of words related to oath. And, you know, I think one can become a connoisseur of the oath, you know, and it's family of um, Mm -hmm. words, you know, like adjure and declare and commit, Mm -hmm. swear. I swear. It's interesting... um
2: in what you say, Sam, about the oath existing outside of the parameters of, of religion, because I was um, struck uh, by my memory of just how much the word oath, the word concept oath comes up in the works of Shakespeare, hmm. um, in all hmm. sorts of um, everyday non-theological contexts. Like, uh, where? Well, I, I know um, that... Uh, Hamlet, for example, forget who he's talking to. This is in Act 1. After the ghost of his father is seen and verified by a few individuals, uh, who who sees Hamlet's father's ghost with Hamlet in Act 1? It's – I used to know, but I'm forgetting now. I should have looked this up. Hmm. Is it Horatio? Is Horatio there?
0: Bernardo. Uh, Bernardo is
2: there.
1: Horatio. Yeah, I can't he, remember. He,
0: Bernardo.
2: Bernardo and Horatio. Yeah, I guess so it is Hamlet to Horatio, never to speak of which you have seen, swear by my sword. Um, and um, there is an oath that is taken by his sword. that that, And I, th- uh. I think he intimates that he's going to assume yeah. the antic disposition at this point. Um, and uh, these these men enter yeah. into this oath. Uh, so he's yeah. going to
0: pretend to the I yeah. swear, swear, and then I swear. I remember that structure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they, they lay hands onto the sword, you know, to the handle of the sword. Oh,
2: right. So it has this um, quasi-religious quality in, in the... Uh, or I don't know if like that's a religious, or
0: like a crucifix, or maybe it's more. Like tradition. a
1: crucifix, yeah. Yeah, but you get the feeling it's maybe pagan, pre-Christian. A sword exists before Christianity, I suspect. Like praying on the praying, yeah, making that, an oath yeah. on the Bible, swearing on the Bible, is a later version. The the, the sword yeah. feels like the more primal version.
0: The guilt there, of the sword is also uh, in Beowulf. Uh, when he's wrestling with Grendel's mother, Grendel's mm-hmm. dam, uh, down in the cave uh, under the lake. And after he's slain Grendel's mother, uh, the sword melts and he's left with the hilt of the sword.
1: Hmm. And that's a similar...
0: Yeah, and that whole, um, you know, that sense of the oath and a fealty was one of the principal social glue that way of life, the Germanic heroic ethic. And feudalism
1: in general seems to me about swearing allegiance to the Lord. The knight swears allegiance. Seems to me there's a lot of swearing and maybe, I I guess, those would be considered oaths. I'm not sure. In uh, feudalism, and then maybe capitalism breaks the oaths. Maybe that's the the role of capitalism, because, you know, as you were suggesting, Andrew, I think most of us don't take oaths. I take oaths. That's why we started this conversation, because I Mm. was invited to give a talk at this conference on July 31st in Hudson, New York, about John Ashbery, specifically about the poem, which is also the title of a book. So maybe it's the book, actually, The Tennis Court Oath, So then I started, I I was supposed to have a subject for my lecture and I told my friend, Tracy Morris, who invited me, that I would write about oaths because uh, I belong to the Ananda Marga Society. So I have these secret oaths and every day I remember, I spend a little time remembering my oaths. Can't talk about them because they're secret, but... uh, so I am a person that has oaths, but other than that, it seems to me the only time I've sworn an oath is uh, when I've been on jury duty. You know, I think most people don't swear oaths in the modern world.
2: Yeah, I can't think of a single one that I've sworn other than the Pledge of Allegiance. And I think you're, you're spot on that there is something about capitalism that is uh, adversarial to the idea of the oath, I suppose, in its uh, fierce protection of individuality and autonomy, and mm.
1: entrepreneurial spirit, right? Right, and, and th- all those uh, relationships, that feudalism is about relationships, the peasant is has a, a certain um, uh, devotion to the Lord, a certain, uh, like it's like a legal bond in a way to the Lord. In a way, though, the, the Jews in the Bible have a, a co- covenant with God. That's almost like a kind of oath and And it's kind of a symbol in a way of of all these covenants that were um, the the basis of feudalism. Whereas in capitalism, I guess, the basis of everything is money. <laughs> you don't swear honor, allegiance, uh, devotion to someone. You just give them money and they come and fix your uh, plumbing. You know, you in the, recently we had a drip in the kitchen, we had to find a plumber. We didn't find someone, you know, that we uh, owed allegiance to or that owed allegiance to us. We just give him some money and uh, he fixes it. I mean, he happened to be our friend and he gave us a good deal. So maybe that's sort of the the elements of capitalism that haven't been completely destroyed, all relationships between people. (laughs) Capitalism has a lot of contracts. Contracts.
2: Yeah, contractual agreements. Um, but I think those are different than oaths. Mm-hmm. Like every year I have to sign a letter from to my employer where I agree that I'm not going to do certain things. Oh. Is what is that? A, what, what can I do?
1: No, I mean, what is uh, what do you call that? That's a it's contract. A That's prom- part of your contract. Yeah, it's,
2: it's, I think the legal term is a promissory note.
1: Really? I thought a promissory note is an amount of money.
2: So well, they agree to give me a certain amount of money. Yeah, um, that's true. Provided that I um, provide certain, certain specifically um, designated services to the institution, and then there are other things that I'm agreeing that I won't do. Right. For example, I agree that I won't um, talk poorly about the institution to the press.
1: Mm. Um, and you never have with us. You've never never said a word against your school. In this podcast, I can uh, uh, I can take an oath to that effect. Yeah, well, Attest I, to that.
2: I wouldn't um, be opposed to it. I think it's more like if you're terminated, you won't.
1: Oh.
2: Well, no, if you're terminated, you can do whatever the hell you want. So you're not supposed to, like, yeah, give bad report of the institution outside of it. Hmm. You're supposed to go to the HR person internally first. Mm-hmm. So I was saying in capitalism, I, I do think there are contracts, but I think a contract is different than an oath. But I'm just riffing. I don't know um, what that ontological difference is, really. Is an oath more encompassing of one's moral orientation and all of one's energies and not
0: just an exchange of services? Hmm is there something more pervasive about it I now? think an oath is yeah i think an oath is related to making a promise that you'll either do something or tell the truth that mm. i think those are the two domains of the the sort of specific parameters of the oath I I like it, and I would
2: add the following, and and this may um, prove incorrect, but I think when when an oath is being taken, there's often um, some sort of symbolic object, whether it's um, a crucifix or um, the sword, as was was being discussed earlier, or I Mm -hmm. know in Act 2, Scene 2 of The Tempest, uh, Caliban enters into an oath, to follow the uh the will of stefano and he swears on stefano's bottle of alcohol
1: oh wow
2: he swears on this this uh that bottle that i will be your subject
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know a That's real yeah. uh, moment I, think- I just think there's an either you know there's a talisman or some sort of Symbolic object present in the oath taking. I just want to put that out there. As yeah, a, I like think that,
1: that sounds. Thesis. I'm
0: trying it's to like remember. Swearing on the Bible. Swearing, like of the swearing Bible, on the exactly. Bible. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to remember. And it has my... to do with the future. Hmm,
1: that's true. You can't take an oath in the past. Even
0: the act of witness has to do with the future that you are going to tell the truth. And what
1: I was thinking is that what makes an oath at least the way it's used mostly in society today, what makes it uh, specific is uh, it has legal consequences. If you uh, lie under oath, it's something that uh, people are talking about now because of the uh, abortion debate, that the three Supreme Court justices that were sworn in under Donald Trump, they all were asked uh, under oath Uh, do you support Roe versus Wade? And they all said, Roe versus Wade, that's the law of the land. Now, apparently, they're going to uh, annul it. So they lied under oath. They committed perjury. They can be, uh, what's the word, impeached. This is the, uh, you know, line on the the sort of uh, aspect of Twitter that I'm on. This is what people are saying. So if you lie under oath, you can go to, prison if you'd lie the rest of your life you can lie all day no
0: consequences whatsoever well it has to be proven right um but it's interesting because the basis of its proof is the testimony of and are you sure that they're under oath when they're testifying before Congress, I guess they're under oath, not, are they? I'm or not, not sure. That's, I don't think they are. That's what people are, are I, saying do, on Twitter, I, right? yeah.
2: I do not think they are.
0: Right. I, 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 met,
2: so,
1: this, I met this lawyer. Therefore, this, it's a free-for-all. I met this lawyer on the subway, and I asked him about it, and he said um, that that's like a meaningless argument because the – the Supreme Court justices can say, I changed my mind or I was just saying it's the law of the land. I'm not saying I agree with it. You know, there's there's a hundred ways they can get out of it, even if they were under oath. So it, it's kind of a moot point. But I think, you know, I think that's why uh, Bill Clinton was impeached, because he lied under oath. I think that was the that's idea. Right.
2: That's right.
1: So I think there are consequences to lying under oath. And I was thinking today about that phrase, under oath, you know, you're not under a vow, you're not under a pledge, but an oath kind of spreads over you like a roof. It's somehow, it's something you're under, you're not uh, next to it, you're not over it.
0: What that means, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) You also, to take an oath.
1: Yeah, right, um, you
0: take it. Like, what else do you take? You know, hey, I have to take an oath. Hey, you guys, I, hey, I, I need a little uh, time. I have to go take an oath. <laughs> yeah, I talked to
1: this monk in my meditation group. I was talk asking him about my oaths, whether it was okay to remember my oaths during my meditation or whether I needed to do it at a separate time. And he told me, I hope I'm allowed to say this publicly, that he has 17 oaths. You know, because he's at a very advanced level that he has to remember every day. And he explained to me that he remembers them in the shower. That's what he does in the shower is remembers those. So how many oaths do you have? Well, I think I'm not allowed to say, even okay. though I already outed my this monk. At least I didn't give his name. But you have a fewer number than 17. Well, I don't want to go into it. You know, I'm not sure I how secret that. they are, but I, I'm paranoid about uh Saying anything about them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I have some number of oaths and I try to remember them every day. And, you know, in some ways, they sort of guide my life in a way. I mean, of course, we're all married. All three of us are married. So we all took vows. We all took marriage vows, which somehow are not oaths. <laughs> or maybe they are oaths. Who's to say?
0: Yeah, I think they're called vows. But they're, yeah, they're promises. are never called oaths. Yeah, and we, and my
1: wife and I, designed our own vows. Pledges, also. Yeah, I've heard them always called vows, not pledges.
0: Vows, the only pledge yeah, I can think definitely. of is the pledge of allegiance. Pledge.
1: Pledge. I was saying, oh, clean furniture. That. It's a furniture. It could, um, especially, oh, right. Especially wood. <laughs> Yes, pledge. Wood, yeah. it's maybe wood. that is fits in with is that what you're suggesting Andrew? that it fits in with your talismanic theory like since wood is an ancient object that we it could be something maybe that you could uh, take a vow upon like a it, sword or a bible
2: maybe that's what me, they or, or maybe a tree maybe yeah it has a real ancient ancient origin
1: yeah that sounds good to take a, a pledge with a tree The Oath
0: Tree.
1: Oh yeah. The Oath
0: Tree on the cliff above the moor. It (laughs) is time to go for us to go again. The path to the Oath Tree. Gather.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to tell you guys because we talk about these trees that talk to me. I know this is a little bit off the topic, but today this tree very the tree in my backyard very specifically said to me dance away pain, dance away pain. And I thought, that's probably true. If you know the right kind of dance to do in a literal sense, let's say you have back pain and you do the right kind of dance, it could alleviate it or perhaps any pain, spiritual pain, physical pain. If you knew the right dance, you could dance away pain. One mm-hmm. of the wisdom of my tree. Boy, that's
2: a great one. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great. I love that. Yeah, do you, some, Yeah, are these messages more um, telegraphic? Is that the word I'm looking for? I mean,
1: they're not. What do you mean? Like, do you hear a speech? Do you hear speech? Or are they more? What's well, the I, word? I really f- kind of heard words in my mind, yeah. but I don't hear. You ever see that movie Pocahontas? You ever, you ever uh, take your daughter or whatever, show it to her on your computer screen mm-hmm. or something? no no maybe i should i don't know it's an interesting weird movie but it it has a talking tree like a very a jewish mother talking tree that's very memorable at least to me and has a whole accent and everything and pocahontas goes to this like it almost has like a yiddish accent this tree and (laughs) uh And she goes to the tree, the ancient mother tree. She asks, you know, should I marry John Smith? You know, different problems in her life, and the tree resolves them. But no. my tree doesn't have an accent. You know, it doesn't have a voice, per se. It's just words I hear in my mind. And mostly it's just a feeling. It's like a Jewish
2: grandmother. Yeah, like a Jewish. Sit I guess, down, get some chicken
0: soup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eat your oath. <laughs> eat your oats. Eat your oats. Somebody said
1: there's a joke. What's the difference between a Jewish mother and an Italian mother? Jewish mother says, "Eat, eat, or I'll kill myself." Italian mother says, "Eat, eat, or I'll kill you." I think there's some truth there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all those jokes are kind well, of uh, slightly true. Yeah.
0: So um, the one thing I would say about the nature of the oath is that it's a verbal construction. It's made of words. Mm, An oath is. Yeah. And it seems as though it takes place between one one and with another person or with a number of other people. But it seems to be... Like an individual thing, or is it a group thing that one can take an oath within a group, I guess? Yeah. But it seems to occur between people. When people
1: become citizens of the United States, or for that matter, any country, don't they all collectively... I don't somehow have an image from watching some film. They all collectively take some oath or other. Oath of allegiance or something to the the government?
2: Yeah, there is... um... Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's um, because my um, in-laws did this. It's the naturalization oath of allegiance. That's what it's called. Wow! And it is taken when someone becomes an official citizen of the United States. And
1: is it taken collectively?
2: That's how I picture it. Like- it's ta- it's taken it's taken collectively, um, in the way that say the um, Hippocratic oath. Oh, yeah. Is also taken collectively um, during something called the um, white coat ceremony, which oh, occurs yeah.
1: in, in medical school. And and both of these Ooh. oaths that we're discussing, Hippocratic and the naturalization oath, do not—they violate your uh, thesis, uh, Andrew. Right? You don't have your—you're not swearing on something. You're not. Uh, holding a Bible, you're not holding the...
2: Oh, yeah. No, I think you swear on the Constitution. Is that right? On Correct. the Constitution? On the Constitution. With the Hippocratic Oath, I think you swear on the uh, the 2,000-year-old Hippocratic Oath. I don't know if you actually put your hand on it, but it's evoked, certainly. Hmm. It's a Written physical by object. It's Hippocrates. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it
0: exists as a historical document. I've read hmm. it. You're swearing where you're taking an oath, but it, but you're not. Uh, it's not an object that you uh, oh, right, are, right. are swearing to. Yeah, I guess not with the Hippocratic. It's a set of
2: words. But yeah. the um, but the but the uh, naturalization oath of allegiance.
0: I think you, the Constitution is there. I don't know if you put your hand on it, but yeah. But it's not called an oath. Uh, of allegiance it's called a pledge of allegiance and i think no, you know. No, i no, remember no. i think sometimes no, become... i've said i pledge allegiance too no, 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 this is it different is it, different? Is when you is it an, an next, oath or is it
2: you i i know what it is do you want to hear it I, yeah uh, i want to hear it i sure. was just going to ask and you this is according to the u.s citizenship and immigration service it's called the naturalization oath of allegiance to the united states of america holy cow and here it is it's short uh, I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely, entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty, of whom or which I have uh, heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear truth, faith, and allegiance to the same that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform noncombatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of
1: evasion. So help me God wow there comes god so in a way you're swearing to god to god but not on an object and you do support yes. the constitution yeah Yeah. Um, and and notice the feudal language right that uh, this uh, fits my marxist theory that kind
0: of also you know yeah you know what i mean the first thing yes. to
1: no other prince prince where are the where are the hell are princes in the modern world there's no princes Just the one who lives in
2: Paisley Park, right? Yeah. Paisley Palace, the late Prince.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's a strange locution. It's a very archaic phrase.
2: For for sure.
0: I think the language is a little... I think the language may be old. The one thing that I um, saw in what you presented, Andrew, super interesting um, to hear that read, is that, so I was born in the United States and I'm uh, like a um, citizen of the United States. And so does that mean that there's in my being, whatever I am with the passport and stuff, Have I? is there an implicit oath that I live under? that it's an undeclared oath? I don't think so. I don't think you
1: have... I think naturalized citizens take that oath, and we don't. I think born right, citizens it, don't have to have oaths. We're, we're, right, su-
0: but I'm sort of saying, is there an implicit oath?
1: I see, uh-huh.
0: Not a formal, but uh, a de facto, not de jure, that I've taken an oath. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean... Because to, to- I do believe that if... It required by law, I would I would go into the armed forces if it was required by law, you know. You know that that's what happened in the Second World War, for example.
1: Um, well, it almost happened to me. I was, you know, I was just like a year shy of getting drafted to Vietnam.
0: But it's interesting if there is an implicit oath. How pervasive the nature of oath is. To our lives, it's sort of this invisible uh, numinousness to our citizenship, to our being cosmopolitans. Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean,
1: I'm I'm kind of divided in my mind over whether there is an implicit oath. I mean, of course, you're expected to obey the laws of the country that you're in you're sort of required to, but are you, have you made an oath to do so? Like if I decide, no, I don't believe in this war. I don't want to be drafted. I'm going to go to um, Canada. I'm going to hide out so they can't find me. I'm going to go to prison. Have I violated my oath? I'm not sure. I think maybe, maybe this is a central question about what it means to be a member of this country is, you know, how much are you required? You know, like those right-wingers who say, hey, if you don't like it, go back to Russia. It's like, well, not liking it, that's part of my rights. That's part of what being an American is. I have the right to not like it, you know, to not like what my government does and to uh, oppose it. That's that's a, that's a kind of inherent aspect. That's, that's what the First Amendment says, as I understand it. It's the land of the free. Yeah, whatever that means.
0: It's the land land of the broken sound field, also. (laughs) I don't know if you guys picked up on some of that scratch sound. That was terrific.
1: That I was making?
0: It came through in the recording. I think there was some chop, you know. It was like we were going through Sputin' Dival. Oh,
1: yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe I was taking us there with my rebellious uh, lecture there. I mean, you know, a, a lot of my life and my, particularly my father's life was completely governed by an oath, which is the loyalty oath to the Communist Party. In the you know, they, people had to sign a loyalty oath to get a lot of jobs. Oh, right. And the oath was something like, I have not now and never have been a member of the Communist Party Uh, something like, you know, I've never supported the overthrow of the government by force or violence. I remember this joke on, uh, I think it was on Laugh-In, where they're asking some old lady for some reason, they say, do you support overthrowing the government by force or violence? And like she thinks about it for a while, she says, violence. (laughs) But, uh, But my dad and anybody who was a member of the Communist Party was really endangered if they were to sign the loyalty oath because if they didn't sign the loyalty oath, they couldn't get the job. Like for example, he couldn't be a uh, school teacher in the uh, New York City because he had to sign a loyalty oath. And if he did sign it, he could go to prison for perjury. So it was a double bind. So he, he he was working in a machine shop and eventually everything that that was being used in a machine shop, some part of it would be used for the military. So he had to sign a loyalty oath. He couldn't sign it. So he had to leave his job. And then he started working with developmentally disabled people in a so-called sheltered workshop. And then he continued doing that the rest of his life, moved his way up got a PhD in psychology, moved up the ladder of the Association for the Help of Retarded Children until he was the director, actually, briefly. And then uh, and then I went into the same field. So uh, basically, you know, I spent 18 years in that. That was the main job I did with my life, basically because of an oath, because of the loyalty oath.
0: Fascinating.
1: It is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a case where where oaths, you know, they're rare in our lives, but they can be crucial, key factors. But I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I know I, twice I was on jury duty, both times in uh, civil court, and I must have signed, an, uh, what's the word, taken an oath, but I don't remember it. It's, you know, it's dim in my mind. I'm, certain aspects of the cases I remember, but not that. Have you Have either of you ever taken
2: a uh, more uh, uh, informal oath um, outside of an official ceremony or public civic duty where you create an oath with another person, a friend or um,
0: yeah, that's what I was traveler. Thinking.
2: It's where it's not yeah, it's not like a marriage vow or an oath of office or where you can
1: generate your own. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I became blood brothers with somebody.
0: Kind of like Huck, uh, Huckleberry Finn. And his um, band of robbers. I think they... there's an oath that he swears, he and Tom, but, you yeah. know. Yeah, they do swear an oath. You know, they're, they're very much a sort of youthful structure. So I remember, like Sparrow, um, not becoming
2: uh, blood brothers. I had evoked Shakespeare earlier, and I'm interested in the everyday oath. And in, uh, in, um, uh, in response to what Sparrow said about, uh, becoming blood brothers with a friend, I can remember, uh, two or three, actually three occasions in childhood and adolescence where I entered into oaths uh, that were particular to the, uh, friendship, um, that I was in, uh, one was with, uh, a male friend, one with a young female friend, and one with a, a group of rock and roll musicians as an adolescent. <laughs> that, that, that they didn't last for eternity, I don't think, at least. But they were very powerful, and it, they, they emerged. It felt spontaneously. It wasn't as if we had. Maybe we were inspired by a Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer. Probably was some precedent, literary precedent, or something in film, like uh, Stan. Um, what's the movie Stand by Me? Oh, yeah. um, just that intense fraternal bond that kids enter into—best like friends, bands of brothers, mm. that kind of thing. That, what
1: was the vow? Did you take an oath? Did you? Was there a specific oath you took?
2: Yeah, with my friend Zoe, it was an—it was an oath to protect a particular rock. <laughs> The, in the uh, w- woods between our homes, that we had we, that had magical powers, that uh, mm-hmm. we would be its protectors. We called yeah. it Indian Rock. And uh, maybe a decade later, that whole woods was razed to the ground, and subdivisions were built. And I don't know what happened to Indian Rock. We didn't protect
1: yeah. it. <laughs> you failed. We failed our sacred oath. Did you take an oath on the rock, or was there? a, Did you follow your? We did. Theory? There was a there was a laying
2: on of hands. It was you know. Come to think on of it, on the rock. Yes. It's almost we're like on. a
1: three way oath between the two of you and the rock.
2: Kind. Yeah, very hmm. powerful. Maybe I was about seven years old, eight years old.
1: And what were your other oaths? It's you, super. Did you swear to be true to rock and roll or something? Yeah, the
2: the, the band I was in, we would we all went to college neck close to one another for the purposes of the band Uh. this is this is something we were going to continue and invest in uh through time and then and then i was in an oath with a best friend that we would remain loyal to our shared vision of things um i would the vision had to do with um i guess the creation of art and um looking for what was genuine and not being Seduced by the superficial or the expedient, I think values that I still hold sacred.
1: Sounds like mm. you kept that one.
2: Yeah, I think so. I tried. I've tried yeah,
1: as much as you can know whether you're keeping it up. But you weren't loyal to rock and roll. You didn't stay in the band forever.
2: No, no, that broke apart. Mm. But now I think the oaths are very important. Yeah, maybe they help us affirm and reaffirm our deepest values with
0: others. Hmm. I know I'm super interested in that. I mean, setting aside, you know, just sort of pausing on Sparrow's critique relative to the operation of oath and a sort of feudal scene and all that, that thing when you're young and you're able to take make oaths, it's as though when you're young or little or younger, you're more like a country unto yourself. Mm-hmm. yeah you know and that so you have oaths and you know sort of things between countries or something like you're worthy of having Treaties, an oath like, <laughs> yeah like an oath yeah and that uh, when you get older you subsume or give over your oathy power to society as we've come to know it you know and we lose a little bit of that capacity perhaps or maybe in the same way oathful. that uh,
1: You know, like the the fetus in the womb, it becomes, goes through all of evolution. You know, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. First, you're like a fish, and then you're like a reptile, and then you're like a mammal. Like maybe as you grow up outside the womb, you go through the stages, the Marxist stages of society. You're a hunter-gatherer at first, then you're a feudalist. Then you become a capitalist, you know, about a certain age. That's brilliant. (laughs) yeah thanks it might be brilliant or it might be really dumb that's my fate is to come up with ideas that are kind of equally both of those
2: well i think it's an interesting take on human development
1: yeah i mean it's a i'm you know because of growing up with communist parents i you know i'm trying to constantly kind of make sense i guess it's obvious trying to make sense of marxism and the communist analysis and trying to make it you know, kind of work in the real world, which is pretty hard. Actually, it's probably a pretty limited viewpoint, ultimately.
2: Yeah, I think you're onto something, though. Uh, those, I think, those stages do map on to um, some human trajectories.
1: Yeah, I mm-hmm. wonder if somebody Thanks. else, you know, Lacan or somebody, suggested this already. Hmm. I was I was going to talk about this when we were talking about islands. I had this experience with my friend Jeffrey, who was sort of my best friend for, in a way, my whole life. And he and I were walking along the Hudson, uh, you know, in uh, Washington Heights, let's say around 180th Street in maybe 1968. So we were maybe 12 or 13. And we were walking along kind of right by by the river and we saw a corpse. We saw a dead body and a guy, not very old, as I recall, just lying on the sand. And we turned to each other and we made an oath that we'd never speak of it um, to anyone. And um, we, and then you know, I just I wanted to write about it in an essay maybe 25 years ago. And I called up Jeffrey and I said, "Do you mind if I break our oath?" And he said, "It's okay." So that's why I'm talking about it now. And then as we were walking back, I, we were probably, like, walking to the Grant's tomb. We used to do that a lot. And on the way back, there were cops there. And, you know, it was had become an official death. <laughs> it wasn't just a kind of strange experience between the two of us. Did you go and study it, or did you look at it from afar, or how, how close? That's you? really a good question. I can't remember. I think I went fairly close, close enough to, to ascertain that that he was dead. I have the dim I can see I see it in my mind from a distance. Did I go closer? Maybe not. Maybe I was too scared. But I th- I'm guessing that I went close enough to make sure he was dead. I mean, you you don't want to just if he's still alive, you don't you don't want to abandon him. So presumably we somehow figured out he was dead, but we didn't like go through his pockets. We didn't get close enough to really closely examine him. That's disturbing. It's a weird thing, dreamlike experience.
0: Think of it and now, did... and it's
1: like, wow, maybe that guy was killed. You no, know, like this is New York in the late '60s. I mean, and he was young. You know, that seems actually most logical that he was killed. Actually, what what do you think inspired? The, how much? The, the, the Oath? Yeah, yeah, that's a also funny thing, how much? Right?
0: How much time passed between the seeing the the body? there on the shore and making the oath. I wasn't clear about that. I
1: mean, you know, like two minutes. That's in my memory. We just like immediately, we just like looked at it and we're like, whoa, holy macaroni!" which is the kind of thing we would say back then. And then looked at each other and immediately made the oath. That's my memory.
0: Wow. So it's sort of like the seeing that called forth the oath. Like that yeah, was it your verbal like or seeing, enacting response. Yeah, it was like almost a mystical experience, you know, almost
1: like seeing the face of God or seeing, having some supernatural experience, seeing a ghost or something, where you, you it was so profound an experience that we immediately had to, to, to vow that we'd never tell anyone about it. Because you knew if you told, especially adults, it would be killed quite literally. No pun what, what, experience um, your, experience, yeah,
2: your experience, what you shared with one another, what it meant, it would be mm. inscribed with a different sort of legalistic or
1: scientific meaning than I. I, I, think. I mean, I could imagine my parents just giving me a lecture that I did the wrong thing, which no doubt I did. You know, we just walked away.
0: Oh, they cell phones, mm-hmm. we couldn't call but it, was, it reminds me a little bit, Sparrow, of your Bat Mitzvah.
1: Oh, Bar Mitzvah, (laughs) where I had a mystical experience. Oh, Bar
0: Mitzvah, yeah, your Bar Mitzvah. Right, a little bit, it was like a
1: later, it was probably a few years later, two years after my Bar Mitzvah mysticism. That's funny that you remember that, yeah. Well, I mean, these are the kind of, the few moments in my youth where I had these glimmerings of the divine in a way. Yeah, there's something about seeing a dead person, particularly where well, you don't expect to see one, and maybe I'd never seen a dead person before, um, you know, that it, it, it summons up some, you know, troubling, powerful, overwhelming sensation. Sure. I hmm. come from a religious tradition that displays the corpse. Yes. So I, I feel bombarded by it from an early age. So you have, like... Very early, you remember seeing uh, open caskets. Yeah. And being horrified by them? You remember the first Um, time you saw one?
2: It it was never attached to any sort of mystical experience. It was always kind of uh, uh,
1: uh, unpleasant. Right. But not meaningful, exactly. No. Yeah, my grandmother had an open casket. Because she I, she married a German Catholic. I guess she even though she was raised uh, Mennonite, so I guess she be- had a, became a Catholic and had a Catholic funeral, but that would be later after this, I
0: think. Hmm. And I remember her yeah, dead lying people, there
1: and how weird it was.
0: Dead people swear no oaths
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> It isn't untrue, true yeah. as far as we know what
0: yeah. one, one thing that I happened on, is something called minced oath. Do you really? know about that? Yeah, minced there's a, there's Yeah, there's a phenomena, or there's a a kind of oath called minced oath. And what it is is euphemisms formed by misspellings, mispronouncings or replacing a part of profane blasphemous or taboo words to, you know, in a phrase to reduce it to something that will not be objectionable. For example, instead of God, the use of the word gosh, or instead of damn, you know, darn, or instead of by the, by my lady, a bloody is the derivation of uh, of that?
2: Or by, and,
0: his, wounds, uh,
1: by his wounds? Yeah. So, yeah, there were so so many of those when I was a kid. G. Willikers, uh, by Jingo, <laughs> by Jiminy. <laughs> yeah, my mother had one. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it in this podcast. From growing up Mennonite, I presume, where she would get upset, she would say, "Cheese and crackers." Which was a (laughs) a, a substitution for Jesus Christ.
0: Jesus. Yeah, those are all minced oaths.
1: Uh, That's great. Yeah,
0: yeah. My favorite, I think, is blank, or like blankety blank blank. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You
1: blankety blank. Yeah, that is a really good one. It's it is a shame, really, that everybody curses now and we we've, we've lost a lot of these like charming minced oaths. sugar
2: honey iced tea
1: although i wonder like on twitter and on the internet and on texting where people use these uh abbreviations of everything like mf you know uh so it's almost like we're re-mincing oaths almost you know by uh, instead of cursing using the um Uh, what's the word, acronym for it, or the uh, abbreviation of it? I don't know if that counts Mm -hmm. truly as a minced oath. Minced oaths are a little more poetic,
0: actually. Yeah, I mean, there's this sort of blunting that language can take. But then, you know, these uh, minced oaths, often they're more interesting and colorful than, you know, whatever it was before. For example, in Cockney, you know, you have um, the transition from the word prick to Hampton Wick. And then eventually it's just Hampton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know they have this rhyming the slang. The original word, which was prick. you just call it. Uh-huh.
1: Well, there's so many words for whatever. I'm gonna take an oath. I <laughs> <Probably laughs> just taking an oath. Yeah, that is something that there are a lot of uh, euphemisms for. I don't know if all euphemisms are minced oaths. I think minced oaths are a little. They have to be kind of closer to the actual word. Like if you're gonna say, I'm gonna go sit on the throne. Instead of, you know, I'm going to, whatever, uh, have a bowel movement. That's not a minced mm-hmm. oath because it doesn't sound like bowel movement. And a minced oath, doesn't it have to take something sacred?
2: Hmm. You know, does the minced oath relate to language that's...
0: but something that's profane, oh. um, blas- blasphemous, or taboo. So um, something that counters in a, okay. I'm getting... something that somebody, any party might find objectionable, ah. um, you know, that you alter it through mispronunciation or replacing parts of speech or misspelling. Mm. I always thought that yeah. bloody
1: came from some like a, a English obsession with uh, uh, what do you call it? Menstruation, like a horror of menstruation. I didn't think it was a, uh, you know, a shortening for whatever you said. Yeah, I
0: think it's supposed to be
1: by our lady. By our lady. Bloody. Yeah. I mean, I think some of these things, nobody knows where they come from. Personally, what do I know?
0: know. Yeah, Um, I guess we're more interested in where they're going. I wanted to talk about Kol Nidre, which is really, you know, sort of,
1: it's sort of the holiest and weirdest prayer in Judaism which is all about, Mm. I break all the oaths. That's what it means. And I was going to sing it, you know. It's like you sing it on the holiest night of Yom Kippur, and it means all the oaths I've taken in the last year, I now break. So it's a a crazy prayer that no one really understands where it comes from.
0: Also, oath uh, means swear. It's a swear word, supposedly. What is it? Yeah, oh, an oath. Oh, that man is full of oaths. Oh yeah, yeah, an
1: oath. Yeah, in the sense of swearing, I think. It's yeah, funny yeah, yeah.
0: people use that we, word swearing, we're... he swears a lot. Yeah, but let's talk about it next time. Buffling Combustions is a production of the Institute for Publishing Arts, a non-profit organization dedicated to challenging and expanding conceptions of human possibility and the home of Station Hill Press. Baffling Combustions is edited by the Catskill Poetic Action Network, and our cover art and theme music is by Havana poet Omar Perez, the author of Cubanology. We're live on Pacifica Radio Network and available on any and all, including your favorite, podcast venues. If you want to be in touch, including with any questions, insights, notices of gaffes or blunders, suggestions for future sessions, we are very open to those. As we are to donations to our enterprise, please write or call us at Station Hill Press or email bc at stationhill.org and there we go. Many thanks for joining us on this edition of Baffling Combustions and our ongoing investigation of the uncanny and wondrous and please join us next time and remember to stay tuned and strange.